Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 97, Lofa Tatupu, two-time national champion in 2004, All-American with the Trojans, and Believe Network colleague as co-host of the Take 12 podcast covering the Seattle Seahawks, the team he was a three-time pro bowler and 2007 all-pro linebacker for, is back to wrap up the 2023 edition of USC football with me. Lofa, I'm thrilled to have you on the Everything USC podcast to recap the Trojan season. Fight on, partner. Let's do it. All right. Of course, if you want to find this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or you can go directly to our website, Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Network. For me, I am on X, or as I'm calling it, the artist formerly known as Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Lofa, if the people want to catch up with what you're doing, where do they go? Lofa Tatupu at Instagram and X. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With NFL playoffs and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up to the second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Lofa, I'll be honest, I didn't have high hopes for our Trojans heading into the Holiday Bowl versus Louisville. With all of the opt-outs and players entering the transfer portal and changes being made to the coaching staff, I wasn't sure what to expect, but after the way the second half of the regular season played out, I wasn't really expecting something good. So I was incredibly pleased to be proven wrong as USC took out the Cardinals 42-28 behind a Holiday Bowl and USC Bowl game record six touchdown passes by quarterback Miller Moss in his first collegiate start. After a slow start to the game, it was just 7-7 at the end of one quarter, USC scored 21 in the second quarter to pull away 443 yards of total offense by the Trojans, led, of course, by Moss's 23-33 passing for 372 yards, the six touchdowns I mentioned against just one interception. He also ran the ball a couple of times for 13 yards and didn't take a sack. Taj Washington, one of the players who didn't opt out in his final game as a Trojan, capped off a great career since transferring From Memphis, seven catches, 99 yards, and two scores for him. Austin Jones, another guy who did not opt out, led the Trojans in rushing with 11 carries, 60 yards, added four catches for 24 yards. And some of the young receivers that USC is going to be looking forward to stepping up next season. 
Jacoby Lane, three catches, 60 yards, and two scores. Makai Lemon, two catches for 75 yards. Deuce Robinson and Kyron Hudson had the other two TD catches. On the defensive side of things, allowing only 141 yards passing, did give up 220 yards on the ground, but forced and recovered two fumbles, had three sacks. Jalen Smith led the team with 12 tackles, all of them solo. Mason Cobb, eight tackles and a fumble recovery. Max Williams, strip sack that was recovered by Solomon Bird on Louisville's second possession that led to USC's first touchdown drive of the game. And much better tackling from the Trojans than we've seen throughout the season or the last couple of years, really. And just a different vibe, it seemed, for USC. So, Lofa, we have to start with what Miller Moss did in place of Caleb Williams. Did you have any feeling that he'd be able to have such a massive game in his first start for USC? No, I didn't. I was thoroughly impressed with what he was able to get done out there. And not just the performance, but you're talking about the first time this kid's ever taken, you know, live action snaps or starting a game. And to have a performance like that and tying records all time, uh, some of the greats that have played in that game, it was unbelievable. And it was against the Louisville team that they had a great season there in the ACC. They had a ACC had a strong, you know, showing in, in all bowl games. So I was pleasantly surprised and just so happy for the kid. I think, you know, with all this portal and NIL and all the distractions there are these days, Moss is a kid that's been there for a couple of years now, right? And he waited his turn, you know, behind a Heisman quarterback. And then he just showed you when presented with the opportunity, what he could do. And so really can't say enough great things about him. The kid that stood out the most was Makai Lemon. He was routing guys up. I know he only got two catches. But where's this guy been? He was routing people up like left and right. And and he made the most one of them, you know, just I think he laid out for the ball. Otherwise he he runs in. He runs that one in because he's got great speed. But that's my question to you now. Where where's this guy been? And Lane. That's really the question all season long is like some of these guys that didn't have a big role throughout the regular season getting the step up with the players who opted out. Obviously, Brendan Rice, the leading receiver for USC is going to turn pro, so he didn't play in the game. He was there on the sidelines along with Caleb Williams to cheer the team on. But I think what we're seeing is that that receiver position is so deep for USC that a lot of these young guys just couldn't get in over some of the more veteran players for whatever reason. I mean, we're not even talking about Zachariah Branch, who was a first-team All-American, didn't really have a great game in the Holiday Bowl down in San Diego, and he's going to be one of the top returning guys in the nation, not just for USC, not just for, well, I was about to say Pac-12, but it's going to be the Big Ten next season. (laughs) So the future is bright at that wide receiver position for USC. And for Miller Moss, like you mentioned, a guy who stuck to his commitment to USC, he was supposed to come in at first, it was going to be Jake Garcia. And then when USC went after Jackson Dart, Garcia decides to bail And he comes in with Jackson Dart and darts ahead of him. And then, of course, once Lincoln Riley's hired and brings in Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart transfers to Lane Kiffin over there with Ole Miss. And Miller Moss, throughout it all, has stayed in the second semester of what should have been his senior year of high school. He enrolls early at USC. And then over the next two and a half years, he graduates from undergrad at USC. 
So this year, in his third season, technically at SC, he was already a grad student. So that just tells you how smart Miller Moss is and how dedicated he is to USC. And now he's going to have the chance to be the starting quarterback, right, going into next year. As he should. It's his job right now. I don't care who you get for a recruit. I don't care who transfers in. He has what it takes. And I know it's one game, so it's a small body of work. But like you said, takes care of business in the classroom, too. He's already graduated. So, like, talk about distractions being at a minimal for the kid next year. But to any kid that's out there listening right now, this is what it takes to make it. That mindset, you know, never give in, never give up. You know, essentially kind of like that Pete Carroll, where he always preached, always compete. This kid was always competing, and he got his opportunity, and now it's his job. And that's how it should be, you know. Far too often you see a lot of guys, they're a high recruit in high school, they expect to be starting in college. There's a lot of good football players out there, and everybody was good in high school. So any kid listening, you know, take notes on how Miller Moss is handling this, and it's been impressive. Right? It was the storyline of the game, still the storyline now, and what I'm excited to see is his development going forward because that's an incredible, you know, first start, and now let's just see you continue to ascend and take it to, to the next level. One more thing I want to point out about the offense. Zechariah Branch needs at least 15 touches a game. With what he showcased in his first few starts and then throughout the year, not just return ability, just get that guy the ball in space and, you know, enjoy the show like we did with Reggie. Give him a toss, uh, outside stretch zone, and then just watch him go to work and everybody, you know, fear for their lives trying to, you know, catch that angle to tackle him. Yeah, you would think a brilliant offensive mind like Lincoln Riley is going to be drawn up a lot of plays for Zachariah Branch going forward. And I think it was one of those things where Louisville, you could tell, was definitely keying on him throughout that game. And so that might have limited his ability to do anything in the Holiday Bowl, but he's got a very bright future ahead of him. So now let's flip it over on the defensive side of things. I would say that that's the best tackling I've seen out of USC in quite some time. Now, they did still give up a lot of rushing yards. Isaac Garendo, who was the second string Louisville running back all year, their top guy was turning pro, so he opted out of the game. But he thrashed USC for 161 yards and three touchdowns in the game, so still wasn't perfect. But I would have to say, Lofa, it was at least a sign of progress, right, for USC's D? Oh, absolutely. Market improvement in um, tackling. And it was just, it just looked like guys wanted to be there, whereas opposed to, you know, only one guy, you know, in the final frame. That's what we used to always say. Hey, I don't care where you're at in the film. When the film stops, which it, after the tackle, it stops on like the film copy about two or three seconds after. That's enough time. I don't care if you're 40, 50 yards away to get in the frame. You better be in the frame in case someone misses a tackle. And that's just not what I've seen, you know, the last couple of years. It's got to be a point of emphasis. You know, the fundamentals, you know, gap assignment, knowing, you know, gap integrity and, and protecting your gap before you go chasing the ball. So there's the little things that we were well schooled up in when I was at SC. And what, you know, I think 2003, we held opponents, uh, like a, I think it was a country low, 59 yards per game rushing. And, you know, and then 04. We had a great offense, so I think that climbed up. You know, we spent a little more time on the field. That's probably our fault, <laughs> not getting off the field in a timely fashion. But I think it probably crept up to 60-something or 70 at the most. But you, know, if you can't stop the run, it's going to be a long day. 
And, you know, I don't know why I see all these offenses around, not just in college football, but in the NFL. You have a running back averaging six or seven yards of carry, and then you want to throw the ball 40 times. It just blows my mind when <laughs> you don't take the easy, you know, the low-hanging fruit and just keep tearing away at their will to play the game because that's what it really does over the course of four quarters. You find out who really wants to be there and who wants to win the most. So how meaningful is it for the Trojans to finish off a disappointing season on such a good note with a win like they got in the Holiday Bowl? Oh, it's incredible. It sets the tone for the offseason, and then that's where the real work's put in. We find out, you know, because every year it's a new team. Even if you're returning a bunch of starters, it's still the chemistry's different. Caleb's gone now. You know, that was a guy that you could count on for 40 points a game. Now Moss looks every bit the part, but we'll see. And then you still have to develop a strong running game, and that's really where we hung our hat back in the day with uh, Lendale. I know Liner and Carson, you know, we had all these great quarterbacks that got the Heisman and everything, but you had to open up the defense and make them commit that eighth defender into the box. And then that's what opened up the shots to Mike Williams and, and all the great receivers, Steve Smith, Dwayne Jarrett, all those guys we had. It was Lendale and Reggie that were really setting the tone for the game. Yeah, and we shall see what goes forward with USC, as there will be a lot of changes. And to wrap up our Holiday Bowl talk, I've got to go through the final prediction standings every week in the season when we had a game. My guest and I would make predictions on USC against the opponent, and it was close coming into the final game, the Holiday Bowl. I had just a one-point lead on the guests, and for the Holiday Bowl preview, I had Louisville local sports anchor Fred Cowgill on to talk about the game. It was double points because it was the bowl game, so the players that we believed in, I went with Austin Jones. I thought SC would need to run the ball some, and Austin Jones in his final game as a Trojan would be motivated getting a start with Marshawn Lloyd opting out. And he was solid. He had the 60 yards on the ground, 24 receiving. But that left Fred Cowgill open to take Miller Moss, which he did. And obviously, Miller Moss had the game of his life. So Fred won that one in the players that we believed in. In the game score, like I said, I wasn't really expecting much out of the Trojans. So I picked Louisville 27-17. Fred said the Cardinals would win 35-21, so obviously with SC winning 42-28, we were both wrong. And then in the prop bet, Nara's no doubter was that both teams would combine for at least three turnovers in the game, and I was correct. Two fumbles by Louisville, the interception thrown by Moss, so that's three turnovers. And Fred's fun in games, he said that Miller Moss and Jack Plummer, the Louisville quarterback, would each throw for at least two touchdown passes. And so he was right about Moss, but Plummer was held to zero touchdown passes. So we tied basically on that predictions for the Holiday Bowl, which means the final standings for the season. I defeat my guests 13 to 12 with two ties. So again, I'm still undefeated in predicting and I keep that title for another year. Although It was really close in this one. So, Lofa, I know when you were on earlier after the Stanford game, it was a bye week, so we didn't make predictions against each other. But, I mean, I'm barely hanging on here to beating the guests. (laughs) Hey, if you're winning, that's a good thing. It's still a W, though. Exactly. Yeah. 
This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, a Trojan legend, Lofa Tatupu, also a fellow Believe Network colleague as co-host of the Take 12 podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts or right at our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network for me. I am on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it today at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Lofa, let the people know how they can find you. Yeah, Lofa, I think underscore Tatupu at both X and Instagram. Those are pretty much the two that I utilize the most. Hi, this is Tim Tesselone, former USC Sports Information Director, and you're listening to the Believe in Everything USC podcast with Narawang. Fight on. Now let's take an overview of the entire 2023 USC football season. The Trojans finish up at 8-5 and five overall. They went 5-4 and four in Pac-12 play in the final season of that conference as it's currently constituted. And they finish unranked in Lincoln Riley's second season at the helm. They finished the regular season on a three-game losing streak, the first that Lincoln Riley had ever suffered in his head coaching career. Lost to both of the big rivals, Notre Dame and UCLA. Lost to our future Big Ten foes, Washington and Oregon. And again, losing to Utah, a team that gave us trouble these last few years. And that led to coaching changes. So UCLA's defensive coordinator, who did such a good job scheming up against the Trojans in that game. Danton Lynn gets hired away from Westwood to join USC, the championship-winning coach at the FCS level. Matt Entz of North Dakota State is brought in as an assistant head coach for defense and linebackers coach. Doug Belk is hired as the secondary coach away from Houston and We've talked about it already. There are going to be a lot of changes on the player side of things. Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner from the previous season. Marshawn Lloyd, the leading rusher. Brendan Rice, the leading receiver. All did not play in the Holiday Bowl game. All will be entering the NFL draft, even if Williams hasn't officially declared yet. We all know he's turning pro. And going into the transfer portal, some big name recruits in the past for USC. Malachi Nelson, who was supposed to be the quarterback of the future, he's headed to Boise State. Edge rusher, Corey Foreman, another five-star recruit, he is on his way to Fresno State. Relic Brown, part of that loaded offensive skill player position, a guy who started as a running back as a freshman, then came back this year as a wide receiver, but didn't really get a lot of playing time. He's moving on. On the defensive side, Tackett Curtis, the linebacker who started so many games, and cornerback Domani Jackson, both leaving USC. Mario Williams, the receiver who came over from Oklahoma with Riley, also in the transfer portal. Michael Tarquin, the right tackle, is leaving as well. Other guys who maybe would have contributed next year, running back Darwin Barlow, wide receiver Michael Jackson III, and defensive lineman Dejon Benton also in the transfer portal as well. And let's talk about the guys who are going to be coming in. Some of the 19 recruits signed in the early signing period. No five stars. Ranked 18th by 24-7 Sports' composite rankings. You've got the top interior offensive lineman recruit in the country, Jason 
Zandamella out of Florida, St. John Bosco High School cornerback Marcellus Williams, the brother of Max Williams, is coming in, Cameron Fountain, an edge rusher from Atlanta, and Sierra Canyon High School wide receiver Xavier Jordan as well. And then some of the transfers, Danton Lynn bringing in a couple of secondary guys from UCLA, safety Kamari Ramsey and corner John Humphrey. Oregon State linebackers, Easton Mascarenas Arnold and Akili Arnold coming in. And running back who might be taken over from Marshawn Lloyd, who was a transfer himself from the SEC out of the University of South Carolina. Now we're bringing in running back Joquavius Marks from Mississippi State. So. In totality, Lofa, how did you feel about USC's season and the changes that have been made so far? If we're going to be honest, the season was pretty disappointing. Just from the expectations, you return in the Heisman Trophy winner. And I know he can't do it all by himself. He tried. And, you know, shout out to Caleb. It was unbelievable. Incredible, fun two years watching him play. And I know he's going to be successful in the NFL. But, yeah, you, you know, it just reminds me, when you set a standard, because the year before, there was promise there. And now you got to live up to expectations. That's a whole other set of pressure. And we just didn't do it. It was um, so it was very, very upsetting and disappointing. Now, I think that, you know, it's tough. I'm, I'm not as excited about recruits these days. I'm really more excited about the pieces we're adding as coaches. You said Lynn from over in uh, just across the street in UCLA. And the coach that's coming in from North Dakota State, because I really feel like we got to get back to, you know, the X's and O's and the fundamentals. You know, it doesn't matter how much talent you bring in if you don't put them in the right spot. And I feel even, you know, Tacky Curtis, I said this when he when he committed to us. I was like, look, this is a kid that played pretty much free safety. And I didn't see much of his coverage, you know, ability of his high school tape, but I knew he could attack and I knew he could hit. I love that about him. But I thought it was we did him a disservice just inserting him right into now he's playing five yards of the line of scrimmage. If you go back to all of his highlights, he was playing around 12 yards, almost like an extra, like the free safety in this. As soon as he diagnosed it with those great instincts, he took off and he ran and hit. And so I felt bad for the kid. And, you know, I understand why he's taken off now. And I hope him nothing but success because it's rare to find a guy that attacks like that. Those are, you know, old school throwback, true football players. But. I don't think we helped him out playing him early and where we did, especially when you got Lee and Gentry right there, who have shown to be very useful in both the run and the pass game. But, the, you know, these are things you got to find out, right? And, um, you know, I know Lincoln's just getting his feet over there. It's his second year, and we'll see how it progresses. But it was a step backwards last year, if we're being completely honest. And how would you grade Lincoln Riley in his two seasons now as head coach of the Trojans? A++ in his first year. He took a team that I don't even, what, we had like four wins, five wins the year before? I don't even remember. But it seems like it was so long ago because we got back to winning. And to get Caleb the Heisman or Caleb, you know, earning the Heisman, that's what SC is all about, you know? Not I'm not talking awards, but recognition for, you know, excellence. And that's what I'm used to going back to when my dad played, you know, hearing about those days, you know, the Heismans over there. And then when I was there, I played with three Heismans, and that only comes with great team success. And so we did have success, and I thought it was an unbelievable hire. And his first year coaching was, like I said, A++. Unbelievable job. This year, I got to say it was in the range of like a C-. You've got all that talent. 
you know, I don't want to say wasted, but, you know, eight and five. And then to lose to two, it's like we didn't even know Notre Dame and UCLA were our rivals. That's what I felt like watching, you know. It felt like they hated us like they should, and they walked all over us, if we're being honest. That didn't sit well with me. You can lose the whole season and you beat those two teams. It's a good year. But to watch it happen, in the, we weren't even in the Notre Dame game. And then by second half, we weren't in the UCLA game. They were, those are tough to watch. And, you know, I know the guys are trying. And I know it's incredibly frustrating when you have that kind of season. Because I've had that in the NFL. I've had a four, five, six win season before. Even went seven and nine and went to the playoffs, which was is such a gross feeling, you know, because when you're a competitor and you're taught like that winning is the only acceptable option, you know, that's the way it should get at you. So that's kind of just the way I felt. You know, it was it was a tough season to watch. There were some great moments and I applaud them for their effort, but there was some times where it didn't look like we were getting our best effort, if I'm telling you the truth right now, brother. I would fully agree with that, especially as we were closing out the season against UCLA. That was one of the worst games I've seen USC play against UCLA in all facets, really. And like you said, there's only so much a guy like Caleb Williams can do. He's trying his best, but sometimes when he's trying his best, he's trying to get a little too much hero ball, and that can cause trouble as well. But as a defensive guy... Hiring Danton Lin away to become the new defensive coordinator. How do you feel about that hire? And what should we expect out of the Trojans D next season? Yeah, I mean, I didn't follow much of UCLA, but I, you know, I saw how they attacked us. Uh, you know, when we played, so you know, it's always good to get great help like that and to take it away from your rival. Is it anything sweeter than that? I don't, I don't know. I can't think of anyone. That nope. you know, I'd rather get for you know an addition to the team, and just uh, like you said, from North Dakota State, like he's proven that he can win. And I don't care if it's one double A, FCS, Division two. You know, like coaches work their way up the ranks. That's how it goes. So I'm happy for him to get his opportunity, and um, you know, I, I hope he's ready for it because there's lofty expectations that come with you know being in charge at SC. Yeah, and the other thing with Danton Lynn, he has a pro coaching background with the Ravens, which we know provides yeah. some good defense year in and year out there in the NFL. And he's the son of longtime coach, the former Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn, a guy who played in the league as well. So he's been around football his nice. entire life. So we'll see what he can do to try and turn around the SC defense. This is... The Everything USC Podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, one of the all-time great linebackers for USC, a Trojan legacy, Lofa Tatupu, also was an all-pro in the NFL for the Seattle Seahawks, now hosting the Take 12 podcast covering that Seattle NFL team. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, download, and rate it on all of your favorite podcast directories or at our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I'm on the X, the Twitter, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Lofa, if the people want to catch up with what you're up to, where do they go? Lofa Tatupu on both X and Instagram. Those are the ones I use the most. This is Rashawn Haylock, KTLA sports reporter and LA Sparks broadcaster, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on Believe.
And finally, I've got to end this show by talking about Pete Carroll. Obviously, the news that came out this week as we're recording this on a Friday, we saw three of the greatest head coaches in football history, Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, and Bill Belichick in a span of two days, all out of their jobs that made so much of football in the last couple of decades, really, for a lot of people. Those are the three names that people are going to associate with head coaching in football. Obviously, Pete, it seems, did not really want to leave as head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, but he's going to move into what they're calling an advisory role. Nick Saban retiring from the University of Alabama and Bill Belichick moving on from the New England Patriots. So obviously, Lofa, you played for Pete Carroll at USC. You even had a season with Pete. Your final season with the Seahawks was Pete's first season there as head coach. What did Pete Carroll mean to you as a head coach? Oh, man, he's one of the funnest guys to play for. I've had a lot of coaches, a lot of great coaches. I've been very fortunate to say that because I know it hasn't been the case for a lot of my friends. You know, when we talk about our coaches, it's always great things to say about Mike Holmgren, Pete Carroll, even going back to college before when I Jack Cosgrove, like they were all great teachers. Pete is the one that believes in you the most to take a, a word from, you know, our podcast, believe. <laughs> he just has this energy about him and instills confidence in everybody that plays for him and that's why you see the best out of them and he accepts you for who you are and, and celebrates you for that and I think you know it's it's rare and um, you know I'm very honored that I had the opportunity to play for Pete in both college and the NFL. What was it like getting to play for him in the pros after having played for him in college? What was the differences or the similarities? There was no difference, and that was awesome to see that, you know, because he was in the NFL before he went to SC, right? And he had some pretty good success there, four seasons or three and a half seasons. I think he got let go partly to the fourth one, but two playoff runs with the Patriots. One of them, he had a win in the playoffs. So there was success, you know, and I know, you know, the way he left, it didn't feel like it, but when you look at it, he was doing well there. So. He goes to SC, and we have this incredible run. And, you know, even in his press conference that he just said, he thinks he felt like he might have got ruined by that, you know, two-and-a-half-year run of 34 straight victories, two national title appearances, one with the win, one with the loss. And then he wrote a book, Win Forever, because for a while there he did. And so it was just cool to be a part of it, you know, like, Literally, I'm part of football history, Pete Carroll. And I think a lot of us feel fortunate and blessed to actually realize that now. Because at the time, it was just what we did. And I think it was Pete going back to his philosophy, finding himself, and then being his true self, which is what he encouraged all of us to do. And I think that's the way you get the best out of any player that you have. And so for him to find that there and then not back down from, oh, he's only a college coach, because that's what everybody was saying, right? And then to find him, get to the league. And really, I feel like he's inspired a lot of young, these young coaches because coaching, you know, his style has really 
spread to all these other young coaches that are trying to relate to these younger kids because it's, it's a younger, you know, every year there's fewer and fewer vets in the league. You know, it's just the way it is. It's a young man's game. And so there's a different approach you have to have with the generations and the change, you know, in not just in football, but in society, you know, you hardly ever see a guy, you know, coach a kid tough. And I think that's just the way it is. And Pete, he still coached tough, but he did it with positivity. And I think that was rare for people to see. And that's why they couldn't understand, you know, his genius. So to see him do it his way, I mean, there was nothing more poetic than that, man. Everybody telling you you can't do something, then you go and do it and inspire a whole new generation of coaches to do it similarly. Because you'll never do it quite like Pete. That's just who he is. And uh, he's a leader of men. You can tell with Pete how much he loves the game, how much he loves coaching. Even at the age of 72, he had the feeling of a guy 20 years younger, the joy that he coaches with. And you're right. I think a lot of the new younger coaches try and find that kind of spark of positivity to try and relate to the younger players nowadays. And how did your relationship evolve when you spent two seasons with the Seahawks as an assistant linebacker coach under Pete Carroll? Oh my God, my, it just, a complete first class education and culture building and what goes on behind the scenes and why he does what he does. Everything has a meaning and reason, you know, because you're, you're kind of oblivious to it. Yeah. You're taking the lessons every day that he gives you when you're sitting in the seats of a player. But when you're in a coach and you're part of that culture building and keeping, you know, building a culture is one thing, keeping it consistent which is what he's done for so long, whether it's at SC or here, that is the rare magic that no one, they all fail to to grasp, you know? And even coaches that have sat in that room and learned from him, some still quite don't get it. But yeah, how much, you hit it on the head, how much he cares about this game and his players is what separates him from most good coaches. And, you know, that's the other echelon of, you know, great and elite, you know, is where he's at. He's up there at the top at the pinnacle. So I think it was so eye-opening to sit in on those meetings and then talk about, you know, every player is on a journey. We all are, even in life, right? And he meets you where you're at because he's seen so many examples over the years of guys and he's got it pinpointed. He's like, hey, this player's at this point in his life and his career and this is what I see. And you know, to break it down to that, like to a science like that was mind blowing. I just, it was unbelievable. I couldn't even put it well into words how amazing an experience that was. So looking forward for the Seahawks organization, do you think this was the right decision to move on from Pete as the head coach? No, I don't. I understand. The timing was curious. You know, I know you're not going to – we were still in contention. You're not going to do anything, you know, even if it was his last year, uh, midseason or at the end of the season. But it just – it seemed like or appeared like everything – he was back for his last year, which was guaranteed for this year, 2024. I think he had an option for 2025, which was due uh, – decision was due this spring. But with all intention, I thought he was going to be our head coach for one more year. You know, this is a roster that is – is pretty talented. We're only a couple pieces away. I think I really believe in the interior O line and interior D line. You need a couple more bodies there. And then we're a deep playoff run from happening. 
And it was a disappointing end of this season, not making the playoffs. But when you're thinking about the candidates that are out there, who do you think is going to be the next Seattle Seahawks head coach? Well, considering the timing and how everything took place, it led me to believe that they had a guy in mind. And I really believe in my heart that that's Dan Quinn, who's been here before. I played for Dan, I think, two years up here. The guy's awesome. You know, he loves football. Loves his players. He knows what it takes to win. He's a DC at uh, Dallas right now, and they're in the playoffs. Done some great things with them down there. And I got to believe that's the, the guy that they have their target set on. That would make a lot of sense. Obviously, the defensive coordinator under Pete in Seattle before he got the Atlanta Falcons head coaching job. And after he was let go by Atlanta, he's ended up with the Dallas Cowboys and has done a very good job with them so we may be waiting until the end of the Cowboys playoff run before the Seahawks make their hire and Lofa finally just your final thoughts on what Pete Carroll's legacy is as a head coach in college football with USC and in the pros with the Seattle Seahawks I tweeted it out or X'd it out uh, I don't know what the the term is these days post they're saying it's a post yeah, it's a post I posted it forever legend and whether it's LA Seattle man uh you he's got another book to write you know I think really for everybody not just you know football players and fans it's a storied career 181 wins combined up here between his time with the Jets the Patriots and the Seahawks and another 83 264 total I think is what it the span was from college in the NFL that you would be lucky to coach 264 games never mind get 264 wins you know in anything and you know that just speaks volumes about his never quit always compete attitude because there, there was a time where you know it looked like he wouldn't get another opportunity and he went back to the drawing board he got his philosophy down and then he shared it with everybody and uh, it wasn't just football it was life lessons ladies and gentlemen and so uh, pick up his book, Win Forever, if you can, and, and give it a, there's a lot of lessons in there that I was lucky to learn, me and my teammates, under his guidance. So, I mean, I expect them to be putting a statue and everything else up for him. And I don't think he's done coaching, Mara. I really do not believe Pete is ready to be done coaching. And uh, there was an article I saw just before we jumped on, and he said, I'm not ruling anything out. And he said, he goes, Nothing, you know, is for certain. He's like, he doesn't expect the opportunity, but I wouldn't, that phone has to be ringing. There's no way with eight coaching vacancies in the NFL, a bunch in college. I mean, DeBoer just left for Alabama. I bet you, you dub is calling him like, Hey, are you busy? <laughs> and, uh, that would be horrible for our Trojans though. So I hope he doesn't take that job because there's not a guy. I don't care if they're 20, 30. There's not a guy that out recruit Pete Carroll. Dion, I mean, it'll it'll be a that would be a fun thing to watch. Who lands more recruits because that's the only one that's got a chance. Yeah, it would be crazy if Pete Carroll were to somehow end up staying in Seattle as the head coach of the University of Washington. Now that the news breaking as we are recording this show about Alabama hiring Kalen DeBoer away from UW. And of course, Pete Carroll, one of just three coaches ever 
to win a national title in college and a Super Bowl, along with Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer. And I mean, yeah, I think if Pete wants to continue coaching, you would think someone out there might want to pull the trigger, whether it's the pro ranks or in college, about talking to Pete Carroll. With it going to 12 teams, I bet you Pete could go anywhere and get to that playoff with 12 teams now. And he knows it. And so it'll be interesting. But I think he likes the the rhythm and the cadence of the pro game in terms of calendar-wise. I think the only thing he misses from college is the recruiting and and knowing that, you know, it's a sales pitch and and landing the guy that he wants and the team that he wants. I think that it would be dangerous if the NFL was that way because Pete would have everybody. And, like, you you see it. Free agents want to come to Seattle because of him and John Schneider. But, yeah, I firmly believe Pete could do this until he's 82 if he wanted to. I promise you. Yeah, Pete Carroll is one of a kind, and we'll see what the future has for him, and it may not be done in the coaching ranks. Lofa Tatupu, one of the all-time great Trojans and one of the all-time great guests here on the Everything USC podcast. Always fun to get to talk to you about our alma mater and what's going on with USC football. Yeah, brother. Thank you for having me. Fight on, brother. For my guests, USC legend Lofa Tatupu, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 97 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online. On Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. And as always, as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.